Hello, I'm Kamiyashi Rabge, and this is the Buddhism Guide podcast. You can find more podcasts, blogs, videos, and guided meditation practices on the Buddhism Guide app. Download it for free from the Apple Store and Google Play. If you enjoy the Buddhism Guide podcast and would like to support future episodes, you can do so for as little as $2 a month. Visit patreon.com forward slash Buddhism Guide for more information. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Buddhism Guide. This episode is called My Experience Teaching Mindfulness and is part three of a special four-part interview series. The recent phenomena that we find in the Buddhist world is the, the growth of the teaching and practice of mindfulness, which is not only developed within the Buddhist community, but also um, in the lay world, uh, in businesses, in schools, and also in your life. So talk a, a little bit about your experience, why you've uh, started teaching mindfulness, and what you've learned from that experience. You know, mindfulness, you know, you mentioned it's in the Buddhist community now. But the beauty of mindfulness is that it is totally secular. And I think if you look at all of Buddhist teachings, they are secular. So I think the time was right uh, now for mindfulness to come forward. I mean, you know, Buddha taught mindfulness 2,600 years ago. And you know yourself that we've had mindfulness teachings throughout our, our life. And it was never a big thing, really. It was never made into such a big thing. And, you know, we were encouraged to be mindful in that. But I think recently the science has caught up with mindfulness. And this is why there's this huge interest now. You know, we live in a world where you can't just say, you know, just do this because it works and uh, that's the end of it. You know, there has to be proof now. So there's quite a lot of proof, uh, scientific proof, that mindfulness is working. So I think this has brought a lot of different people on board. So I think that's one reason why we've had the, the rise in mindfulness. I think another reason is that we need it now. You know, with the smartphones and the internet and uh, instant uh, communication... You know, there was a time when if you wanted to get in contact with your friend the other side of the world, you'd have to go and buy a piece of paper and an envelope, write a letter, you know, put a stamp on it, go to the post box, wait one month for a reply. So things were slower. Now it's instant. So now we're under a lot of pressure because things are quicker. We were told the internet was going to help us. It was going to make our life easier. We were told that, you know, smartphones and being able to walk around with a phone in our pocket was going to make life easier. We were told emails were going to make life easier. They haven't. They've actually put us under a huge amount of pressure because we're there 24-7. We're connected 24-7. 
So I think he's putting a lot of people under stress and, uh, and anxiety and tension. So I think the time is right for mindfulness to come forward. I mean, I never, it was never a plan of mine to, you know, to be uh, known as a mindfulness teacher. You know, I've got this label now, but it wasn't, you know, a conscious thing that I was going to become a mindfulness teacher. It was just that, uh, you know, people started to get interested. And the very first presentation I'd done was in a school. And I was asked to go and do uh, a three-day, I think it was like two hours each day for three days to teachers. And it was such a, a huge success that two or three weeks later, they asked me to come in at a weekend and do a workshop where we actually, you know, did not just talk about the practice. We did the practice. And so, and from there, then, uh, I was asked to do mindfulness conferences. Word of mouth got around and I did many schools in the area where I lived in India. And then uh, I was also contacted uh, by Canada, uh, a place in uh, British Columbia called Kelowna. And they asked me to go and now I'm just going back for the third year to, to teach there. So I think, you know, the time is right for mindfulness we need the practice now more than ever we need to stay focused we need to understand our emotions we need to learn how to you know deal with these emotions with our thoughts even you know if we just blindly follow our thoughts it doesn't mean they're going to take us down the right track so i think the time is right for mindfulness and the science is now there to prove that mindfulness is working and for me, working in schools was quite important because I think if you plant this seed of mindfulness in children, then it will slowly grow throughout their lives. So going to all the different schools and uh, not just you know, uh, helping the, the teachers understand mindfulness, but also implementing it into classrooms was a, a really important thing. And I've seen many, many teachers uh, change their attitude. I've seen the the classroom culture change. The thing is, the one thing with mindfulness, you can't, unfortunately, just be done by one teacher here and one teacher there. For it to be really effective, it has to be uh, across the whole board, not just the teachers, but all the support staff, the administration, the whole uh, school culture has to change for it to be really, really powerful. So I've seen some good successes in schools and I'm pleased with that. I've done a few IT places and again, they're under a lot of pressure. They have to perform and they're sitting looking at their screens all day. So if they can have some uh, techniques where they can bring themselves back into the present moment, let go of whatever stress and tension they're under, then of course it's going to help them. So for me, as I say, it was not a, a conscious thing. I never thought that I was going to be you know, known as a, a mindfulness teacher. But you know, I'll keep on teaching because I've seen the, the results. My own experience was already that it, mindfulness worked. I have that experience. 
And now I have the opportunity to help other people get that same experience. And, you know, once you've learnt different techniques about how to be mindful and keep bringing yourself back into the present moment, then you'll see a big change in your thought patterns, in your emotional uh, spikes, and just generally the way you communicate with people and the way you look at life. So all these things can change from mindfulness. So you mentioned um, stress relief, um, the ability to focus, and, and you also talked about some changes in the culture of the classroom by introducing mindfulness. Can you just talk a little bit more about the actual benefits that you've, you've actually had feedback on from um, your implementation of mindfulness in these environments? So in schools, the, the change of the classroom culture was that the children were more focused. You know, what we used to do in the past is uh, you'd be sitting in your English lesson and the bell would ring and then you'd have a maths lesson and a bell would ring. Then you'd have chemistry lesson. And it's just by ringing the bell that your mind would move from English to maths, from maths to chemistry, which, of course, is not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's an impossible thing to do. You can't just ring a bell and our mind puts to sleep the last lesson and uh, is ready to start the other lesson. So a big difference is that when you do a two or three minute mindfulness practice at the beginning of each of your classes, you're putting to bed the last lesson. You're bringing the student into the classroom. You're opening up their uh, prefrontal cortex where they're going to do their, their good listening. You're settling them down. So it means that within two or three minutes of starting your class, you've got the class there focused, paying attention, listening to you, learning. Whereas before you ring a bell, it would take a good 10 minutes before the class could settle down. So that's 10 minutes of learning time you've lost. And because their mind is all agitated, their focus doesn't stay for very long. So out of like a 40 minute lesson in the, you know, without mindfulness, you'll probably get, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. But with mindfulness, we're bringing them into the classroom. We're getting them settled and focused with just a, a brief uh, mindfulness uh, practice. They'll be able to learn better, focus better and remember better. And also what I started implementing was another at the end of each lesson was a reflection part where you take two minutes from the lesson and you do a reflection practice. So what this is doing is they're in their mind, they're working through the key points that they've heard over these last 30 minutes. And what that's doing is it's moving from your short term memory to your long term memory. So again, they're remembering more about uh, what has been taught in the lesson. So teachers have said to me that they have uh, a calmer classroom, they have uh, better learning, people remember better, they're not repeating themselves as much. So these are, are key areas of it. And even the students have give feedback where if the teacher forgets to do the mindfulness practice, they're asking the teacher, are we not going to do mindfulness first? So even they are getting benefit and understanding that, you know, if they do this uh, process of bringing themselves present into the moment, 
they're going to benefit by you know learning better by you know not being so stressed out by remembering what the class is being more focused so these are the key areas that uh, mindfulness works in the classroom and also it works with conflict as well because with mindfulness you know a byproduct of uh, being mindful is compassion and empathy so over a whole school culture they've seen a drop in uh, conflict because people are are more empathic and uh, more in tune with uh, the other student or with the teacher so this again is another aspect that i've seen in the schools that i've taught one of the things that you see on the internet and um, in the in the me media in general when we talk about mindfulness it's it's become very much like a you know, a, a new corporate buzzword, mindfulness in the office, mindful business, mindful art, mindful, every every topic you can think of, you, you know, they add the word mindful to it. Yeah, I saw last week in the paper, there's mindful makeup. Mindful makeup. <laughs> so, um, when you when you hear how it's become pop, you know, the, the, the word, the buzzword mindful is, is used in many different areas, so the question I have for you is, where's the Buddhism in this type of mindfulness? And um, how is your approach different from, you know, the popular interpretations of mindfulness that we find, you know, in the world around us? I don't think there needs to be Buddhism in mindfulness. I never mention the word Buddha. I never mention Buddhism. And I don't know if there's any benefit in doing that. You know, if you start slapping isms on, then you're going to, you know, oh, I'm not Buddhist, I'm a Christian, or I'm a Muslim, or I'm Jewish, so I won't listen. So I don't think there's any benefit in mentioning Buddha. I'm sure that if Buddha was here, he'd be quite happy not to be mentioned. He doesn't need his name uh, banded all around. You know, the, the process works. The process is called mindfulness and it works. There's no need to actually say the word Buddhism. So, I don't know. I mean, for me, maybe I do teach it slightly differently because I make sure that when I'm teaching it, there is that ethical part to it. And I know that some people don't actually put that ethical part in. But for me, it's important. So, and of course, from the ethical side of it, probably that comes from my teaching you know all my teaching on mindfulness of course has come from buddhism but when i teach it to other people although i'm dressed as a buddhist monk so it's a bit of a giveaway but i never actually mentioned uh, buddhism i don't think we need to i think it, it's fine yeah and as for mindfulness just becoming a, a buzzword and that i think that's okay i think mindfulness is strong enough and have enough uh, benefits to be able to ride through that storm. When meditation got popular in the West and everything was meditation, 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 we still have meditation and it's still fine. And the same for yoga, when the West embraced yoga, then there was everything, and there still is now, there's all like power yoga and things like that. Okay, I totally missed the point of what yoga is, but... You know, they're, they're doing, it's an exercise more than anything, you know, the power yoga and that. But the word yoga 
still has uh, is still there and still has the same feeling. So I don't think that because we've got mindful lipstick and mindful banking and you know mindful cereals and mindful <laughs> bread and that, I don't think that's going to actually uh, take anything away from the real mindfulness practice. I mean, I think people aren't stupid. They can see through companies that are jumping on the bandwagon and just putting mindfulness in front of the name of their chocolate bar or something. People can see that. The real teaching of mindfulness speaks for itself. You know, it works, and that's what's going to keep it going. And I don't think we need to mention Buddha or Buddhism. I don't think there's any real benefit in that. You can find more information about this and similar subjects in my books The Best Way to Catch a Snake, Life's Meandering Path and Ripples in the Stream. They're all available now on Amazon and Kindle. And don't forget to check out the Buddhism Guide app. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, the only person you can ever really know is yourself. <laughs>